the end of the day for me. Uh, they found a new spot. You know, it was kind of big. And, but then uh, we went to I'm sure that you're well aware, but Australia is burning. The 136 fires are burning so large that they are generating their own weather systems that make it increasingly difficult to predict how and where the fires will move. They've scorched millions of acres of land, killed 19 people as of this recording on January 6th, and of course millions of animals have been killed. Even if you do contribute prayer or financial resource, it does very little to quell the feeling of helplessness and heartbreak especially if you've seen the images of the charred remains of homes and animals left in the wake of the fires. It's just very difficult to process emotionally a tragedy of this magnitude. It's also obvious that Australia offers immeasurable wonder to the world, and its influence in surf culture is indelible. So, as a tiny act of gratitude for Australia's being and as an acknowledgement of their suffering, I wanted to share this opening chapter of the book, In a Sunburned Country. It was published in 2001 by American author Bill Bryson. And consider this a bonus episode. I'll be publishing a new episode with Sal Masakela on Wednesday that um, very eager to share, so look forward to that. And also, if you're inclined to contribute resources to help victims of the fires, I'm sure there are a lot of good places, but I've posted four on surfsplendorpodcast.com. The first is the Australian Red Cross. They have a fund that has sent uh, 1,285 staff members to assist communities affected by the fire. They've already set up 69 evacuation and recovery centers. And I've also got a link to the New South Wales Rural Fire Service, whose firefighters and community workers are in the absolute thick of it. And so additional funding will go a long way to that great service. The Port Macquarie Koala Hospital has also set up a GoFundMe page specifically for these rehabilitation efforts. So far, 31 koalas have been brought into the hospital and money from this fund has helped the hospital to purchase a vehicle to do some of the collecting of the koalas and then also set up drinking water stations in areas affected by the fires. They're also allocating a portion of this fund to expand their breeding program, knowing that even before these fires, uh, this species was already vulnerable to extinction. And then lastly, Airbnb is offering free temporary housing for the displaced in homes in New South Wales, south of Sydney, and then in Melbourne and its suburbs. So you can find places to stay there for free, or they also have a link um, for you to donate your home or space for others to stay at. So I've posted all of those links on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then this chapter from Bill Bryson's book has nothing to do with surfing, but it does a great job illustrating just how singularly unique and important Australia is. So my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy it. And then lastly, by the way, the song in today's show is Lucky Country, performed by Red White, Eddie Vedder, and Kelly Slater.
Australia is the world's sixth largest country and its largest island. It is the only island that is also a continent and the only continent that is also a country. It is the first continent conquered from the sea and the last. It is the only nation that began as a prison. It is home to the largest living thing on earth, the Great Barrier Reef, and of the largest monolith, Ayers Rock, or Uluru to use its now official, more respectful Aboriginal name. It has more things that will kill you than anywhere else. Of the world's 10 most poisonous snakes, all are Australian. Five of its creatures, the funnel web spider, box jellyfish, blue ringed octopus, paralysis tick, and stonefish are the most lethal of their type in the world. This is a country where even the fluffiest of caterpillars can lay you out with a toxic nip, where seashells will not only sting you, but actually sometimes go for you. Pick up an innocuous cone shell from a Queensland beach, as innocent tourists are all too wont to do, and you will discover that the little fellow inside is not just astoundingly swift and testy, but exceedingly venomous. If you are not stung or pronged to death in some unexpected manner, you may be fatally chomped by sharks or crocodiles, or carried helplessly out to sea by irresistible currents, or left to stagger to an unhappy death in the baking outback. It is a tough place. And it's old. For 60 million years since the formation of the Great Dividing Range, the low but deeply fetching mountains that run across its eastern flank, Australia has been all but silent geologically. In consequence, things, once created, have tended just to lie there. So many of the oldest objects ever found on Earth, the most ancient rocks and fossils, the earliest animal tracks and riverbeds, the first faint signs of life itself have come from Australia. At some undetermined point in the great immensity of its past, perhaps 45,000 years ago, perhaps 60,000, but certainly before there were modern humans in the Americas or Europe, it was quietly invaded by a deeply inscrutable people, the Aborigines, who have no clearly evident racial or linguistic kinship to their neighbors in the region, and whose presence in Australia can only be explained by positing that they invented and mastered ocean-going craft at least 30,000 years in advance of anyone else in order to undertake an exodus, then forgot or abandoned nearly all that they had learned and scarcely ever bothered with the open sea again. It is an accomplishment so singular and extraordinary, so uncomfortable with scrutiny that most histories breeze over it in a paragraph or two, then move on to the second, more explicable invasion, the one that begins with the arrival of Captain James Cook and his doughty little ship, the HMS Endeavor in Botany Bay in 1770. Never mind that Captain Cook didn't discover Australia, and that he wasn't even yet a captain at the time of his visit. For most people, including most Australians, this is where the story begins. The world those first Englishmen found was famously inverted. Its seasons back to front, its constellations upside down, and unlike anything any of them had seen before, 
even in the near latitudes of the Pacific. Its creatures seem to have evolved as if they misread a manual. The most characteristic of them didn't run or lope or canter, but bounced across the land like dropping balls. The continent teemed with unlikely life. It contained a fish that could climb trees, a fox that flew. It was actually a very large bat. Crustaceans so large that a grown man could climb inside their shells. In short, there was no place in the world like it. There still isn't. 80% of all that lives in Australia, plant and animal, exists nowhere else. More than this, it exists in an abundance that seems incompatible with the harshness of the environment. Australia is the driest, flattest, hottest, most desiccated, infertile, and climatically aggressive of all the inhabited continents. Only Antarctica is more hostile to life. This is a place so inert that even the soil is, technically speaking, a fossil, and yet it teems with life in numbers uncounted. For insects alone, scientists haven't the faintest idea whether the total number of species is 100,000 or more than twice that. As many as a third of those species remain entirely unknown to science. For spiders, the proportion rises to 80%. I mention insects in particular because I have a story about a little bug called the North Mumiacea macros that I think illustrates perfectly, if a bit obliquely, what an exceptional country this is. It's a slightly involved tale, but a good one, so bear with me please. In 1931, on the Cape Arid Peninsula in Western Australia, some amateur naturalists were poking about in the scrubby waters when they found an insect none had ever seen before. It looked vaguely like an ant, but was an unusual pale yellow and had strange, staring, distinctly unsettling eyes. Some species were collected, and these found their way back to the desk of an expert at the National Museum of Victoria in Melbourne, who identified the insect at once as Northromyomacea. The discovery caused great excitement because, as far as anyone knew, nothing like it existed on Earth for a hundred million years. Northromyomacea was a proto-ant, a living relic from a time when ants were evolving from wasps. In entomological terms, it was as extraordinary as if someone had found a herd of triceratops grazing on some distant grassy plain. An expedition was organized at once, but despite the most scrupulous searching, no one could find the Cape Arid colony. Subsequent searches came up equally empty-handed. Almost half a century later, when word got out that a team of American scientists was planning to search for the ant, almost certainly with the kind of high-tech gadgetry that would make the Australians look amateurish and disorganized, government scientists in Canberra decided to make one final preemptive effort to find the ants alive. So a party of them set off in convoy across the country. On the second day out, while driving across the South Australian desert, one of the vehicles began to smoke and sputter. And there they were forced to make an unscheduled overnight stop at a lonely pause in a highway called Puchera. During the evening, one of the scientists, a man named Bob Taylor, stepped out for a breath of air and idly played his flashlight over the surrounding terrain. You can imagine his astonishment when he discovered, crawling over the trunk of the eucalyptus beside their campsite, a thriving colony of none other than Northromyomacea. Now consider the probabilities. Taylor and his colleagues were 800 miles from their intended search site. In the almost 3 million square miles of emptiness that is Australia, one of the handful of people able to identify it had just found one of the rarest, most sought after insects on earth, an insect seen alive just once, almost half a century earlier. 
and all because their van had broken down where it did. North Ramayamasiya, incidentally, still has never been found at its original site. You take my point again, I'm sure. This is a country that is at once staggeringly empty and yet packed with stuff. Interesting stuff, ancient stuff, stuff not readily explained, stuff yet to be found. Trust me, this is an interesting place.
Hey, buddy. Right hey. Guy. 